Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients team members, and the larger world. I'm so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact. They're inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Mark Coleman. Mark is the author of Make Peace With Your Mind and Awake in the Wild. He's the founder of the Mindfulness Institute, has an MA in clinical psychology. Mark has guided students on five continents as a corporate consultant, counselor, meditation teacher, and wilderness guide. He lives in Northern California. Welcome, Mark. I'm so delighted you're here on the podcast. Thank you, Ursula. Great to be here with you. So I'm really intrigued by this mixture of businesses that you have, and we we talked a little bit about this before we began, but I'd love to hear how you're weaving these different aspects of your work together, and and how are they meaningful to you? How, how, uh, How did they come together for you? Yeah, so the central theme of my work is mindfulness, helping people develop more awareness, clarity, understanding inside about themselves, about each other, about their work, about life, about their engagement with the world. And so I've been studying wisdom traditions for the past 30 years and 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 have been assimilating some of those practices and understandings and tools and techniques. And so I formed company called the Mindfulness Institute, which is a way of gathering that wisdom and and very practical uh, tools and techniques to help people in a contemporary context at work, in relationship with themselves, of how to become more aware, how to become more balanced, how to become more sane and live a wiser kind of life, wherever they are. Well, and... and some of the aspects that you weave into that is one's a wilderness guide. I'm really curious about that. Can you talk a little bit, a bit more about that? Yeah. So I was brought up in England. I came to the States. I completely fell in love with the wilderness because the, the, the nature here is so spectacular in mm-hmm. North America. Yeah. And I realized that I, I was bringing my own contemplative practice to being outdoors. I would meditate and do my own kind of retreats outside. And I realized I should be sharing this with people because the insights and the the spaciousness and the ease and the well-being and the joy and the freedom that I felt outside, I felt was really uh, a skill that one can develop and access if we also bring a contemplative awareness to the outdoors. So I started leading courses and retreats where I bring people outdoors, whether it's backpacking in the Sierras or kayaking in Baja or Alaska or you know, simply base camping somewhere in a beautiful part of the world and uh, learning how to be present with ourselves and with nature in a very contemplative way that allows us to see the the many, many teachings that we can get from the natural world. Yeah, this sounds awesome. I uh, Especially all these locations that you're going to. Is that something that you do with your corporate clients as well or is that a separate 
kind of part of your, of your business? Well, it's it's sort of integrated in that I have there's a lot of overlap between my consulting and teaching and teacher training and uh, people coming to my mindfulness courses, my meditation retreats, my wilderness retreats. So I'll have a lot of corporate clients um, uh, who will come in individually. I don't necessarily. I occasionally run. Uh, I've integrated, you know, corporate trainings into the outdoors. And it's something I've actually been wanting to explore more is how to bring leadership teams outdoors. Because I think it's a really fabulous way to collaborate and brainstorm and connect with each other. Yeah. Um, I've done facilitated uh, conferences where we do uh, go out into nature in, in, in a conference center that's that's close to the outdoors. And then we use that that meditative awareness that we can get from being outside then we bring that to facilitated discussions for boards and for leadership teams and it is very effective yeah that's great um is that part of what works makes i mean the work you're doing now the the book that you've just um that's just come out make peace with your mind is so much about looking at the inner critic and can you talk a bit about what that means to you and and how you've been you know why is that such a big topic for for you and the work that you're doing yeah so i've been teaching and facilitating and coaching and doing therapy for almost 20 years now and what i see is the the number one obstacle that people have within themselves is their own negative self-talk the, the, the self-judgments the inner critic the way that we negatively, we have a negative bias towards ourselves and to life, but particularly with ourselves, where we only see what's wrong, what's problematic, what's negative. And, uh, you know, some could say, well, that might be useful because we want to know where we, where we have places to work. And I think that's true. But the problem with the lens with the critic is it only sees the negative. It looks at our deficit. And in, instead of working constructively with that, we just feel shame or hopeless or um, collapsed in a certain way. And so unless we come to grips with that inner voice, then it's hard to be creative. It's hard to be resilient. It's hard to take risks because the critic will say, well, you shouldn't fail and you should be better and you should have done it right first time. And as we know from any great business leader, or any leader in the world that, you know, as, as Hrichiro Honda said, success is 99% failure. But from the <laughs> critic's point of view, if we're not allowed to fail, if we're not allowed to be human, it's hard to be constructive and creative and take risk. So it's essential that we come to some clarity of looking at our critics, seeing when it's undermining ourselves and learning how to work with it effectively. Well, and that inner critic can really hold us back from doing the work we're meant to do. I, I mean, this podcast talks about, I mean, we talk about this this issue of having impact, making a positive contribution in the world. And that inner critic is such can be such a strong voice in keeping us from having that impact. Can you can you speak a little bit to that? And just a yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, what I see that what happens is when people. Uh, you know, a, a being, you know, when, when the judge and the critic is are really active, then instead of feeling energized, oh, great, I'm going to work on that and change that, we, the, the, the critic basically shames us 
for our faults and problems and, and weaknesses. And rather than feeling like, okay, great, I've got a constructive plan, I'm going to work on that, we tend to just feel bad and, and embarrassed or shameful or stupid because the critic's often saying, you know, we're stupid and we're, we're a loser or we're not enough. And so, and I make the important discrimination, this is really essential in, the, in a business situation particularly, that the judging mind, what I call the critic, is that's very negatively laden, is very different than the mind's capacity to discriminate, to discern, to make healthy evaluations, right? We need a lot of that, those faculties in the world to, to, for decision-making and strategic planning and organizing our life. We need to discriminate when we're interviewing and whatnot. But the judgment is, has a negative tone that's not just necessarily criticizing an action or behavior or pattern, but it's also saying, because of that, you're bad, you're stupid, you're, you're, you know, you're a loser, you're not gonna get anywhere. And so we want to take that that negative overlay off. And we can still look at the data of you know where we might need to grow or change or develop or strengthen, but not to have that baggage of you know I'm a terrible person because of that or I'm never going to fix it. So the, because it, the critic engenders a sense of hopelessness and helplessness, which is the last thing we need to make constructive change. Yeah, I mean, you make a really good point in the book about how it's not just about this constantly chattering voice that is negative, but it's about the judgments of that you as a person are inherently flawed in a way that's always going to keep you from something or, or not let you not let you do what you want to do. Right. And then when we when we internalize that, when we believe the critic, and that's something really important to look at, do we believe our judgments? Do we believe what our thoughts say? Do we take them in? Do we give the judge authority? Because if we do, we're likely to feel the negative impact of that, of feeling hopeless or despair or lethargic or you know not feel like giving up. Yeah. Well, one of the <laughs> one of the things that people often worry about when they're thinking about this inner critic talking away is that it, they feel like it's some kind of a stimulus for getting stuff done. And what do you, what's your response to that? And when people say, well, if I don't, if I don't, uh, listen to that voice, I'd, I'd never get anything accomplished. So, um, what, yes. Yeah. What's yeah, your, no, what's your yeah, thought no, on I, that? I, I, I hear this a lot. Um, you know, if I didn't have a judge, I'd never get out of bed. If I didn't have a judge, <laughs> I'd never clean my car or my house or <laughs> right. whatever. Um, you know, and that may be true. I don't know, but I would. I always say there's, there's, there we have much. You know, and in the book I talk a lot about this. We have much more skillful, kinder, more accurate resources. So, for instance, um, you know, getting out of bed in the morning. Well, I could, I could use my judge to sort of berate me and tell me I'm lazy, and that's why I need to get out of bed. Or I could think about motivation and inspiration and how can I have impact and how can I make a difference. And so we can use you know, a positive force rather than a negative one um, in the same way that you know, people say, well, I'd never be able to, I would never do anything in my life. Um, again, you know, we, we can motivate ourselves through, through, through inspiration and through reflection and through encouragement and um, you know, the same with decision making, you know, or, or ethical choices, you know, some say, well, I can't, you know, if I don't have my critic, I'll, I'll, I won't know what to do. And, <laughs> and I say, that that's why we have a thing called conscience. A conscience is much more refined and sophisticated. Our critic, uh, as I explained in the book, is, is a very rudimentary sort of mental structure developed mm -hmm. by the time we're eight. So it's, it's a very young, it's a very simplistic, it's everything is good, bad, right, wrong, black, white. And that's not a very healthy, sophisticated 
you know, sort of method of navigating life when we know life is full of all kinds of nuances and complexities and variabilities and 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 so we need something more subtle and refined than just you're you're bad or you're good or that was wrong or that was stupid. We need something more sophisticated. Yeah, I mean, you talk in the book about how these constructs come into play very early on, and that it's kind of this record, this this uh, recording that keeps playing over and over, even though the rest of you has moved on in terms of levels of thinking and and uh, things that you bring into your awareness. Yeah, I mean, I talk about it as a chapter in the book called Imposter Syndrome, and I make reference to Sheryl uh, Sandberg, who speaks about, you know, she's a CEO of Facebook, a very mm-hmm. successful, very dynamic, brilliant uh, woman uh, and business leader. And she talks about having this thing called imposter syndrome, which apparently 70% of the population have some variation of where the basic premise is, if people only knew what I was really like, and this is what she was saying, if people only knew what I was really like, you know, I'd be fired as COO because they'd, they'd realize I'm a fraud. Right? And here she is with a great track record in business and, and successful uh, entrepreneurship. And, um, you know, Einstein felt that. We have great <laughs> authors and athletes. Yeah. And so if we listen to this self-deprecating voice and we, we believe it to be true, then we have a very inaccurate self-assessment, you know, and as many business schools will say, one of the most important skills for a leader is to have ac- is self-awareness and mm-hmm. accurate self-assessment. So we know our strengths, we know our challenges. And the critic, if the critic's only pounding us for our challenges rather than saying, hey, let's get some help, let's get some resources, let's train in this area, instead what we do is we just feel bad. And that's no motivation for healthy action. Yeah, certainly. Well, and you also talk about finding the humor in the critic, which I love that aspect of it to be able to find some humor in, in uh, kind of getting to know this critic and, and uh, working with it or being becoming free of it. Yes, yes. Yes, no, the humor is, is my favorite um, way of working with a critic. So so mindfulness, which is the foundation, is basically awareness, you know, clear awareness, and it helps us disengage a little. But humor does the same thing. If we can laugh at something, it means we've got a little space around it. We've got a little distance between us and the thing, and that's why I think as humans we laugh at ourselves and each other a lot because it does create some space. We don't take it so seriously. We don't get so bogged down. So you know, my critic will be on my case for um, all kinds of things. You know, I'm a mindfulness teacher and I occasionally forget where my keys are. <laughs> and, and you know, I'm running out the door to give a meditation class on mindfulness. And here I am running around trying to find my keys. Right. And I'll just make the joke, oh, Mr. Mindfulness wins the day again. You know, I just, I just take it lightly. Or, you know, I'm, I'm driving down the, in the freeway and I hit traffic. And I know my critic's going to say, well, you should have taken the, the other route. You know, the, 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 the other, the other, you know, alternative route. And I'll say, oh, please, like really like as if I'm supposed to know which route is better than the other. And, you know, with a critic, you can't win. And right. because it has 2020 hindsight. So the more we can have a sense of humor, sometimes I'll dress my, I'll imagine my critic wearing this gray wig that the old English judges wear and sing bad, bad. <laughs> or like, I'll exaggerate it. Yeah, like, yes, I'm the worst teacher in the world. That was the worst presentation that someone's ever given. That was the worst PowerPoint slide deck that anyone's ever seen. And I'll just, you know, make light of it. And, um, or I'll just say, oh, thanks, thanks, I'm, I'm, I'm a bad teacher, great. And anything else? Oh, I'm a terrible cook too, great. Really didn't know that. And, <laughs> and any other advice you got? So I'm just, so I use sarcasm and wit and wryness and playfulness and, 
because it just takes the sting out of it. And we want to find any strategy that works to help take the sting so it doesn't, we don't believe it so much. Yeah. I love that image of the English judge with the, you know, sort of looming over you and pointing a finger. And it, it does, I mean, it does make me laugh when I think of it because it's uh, such a ridiculous figure. So, it is. yeah. Well, are, are you, have you been able to, I mean, you've been working with wisdom traditions for so many years and, and this practice as well. Is this something that you feel that, um, you've been able to, I don't want, I mean, overcome is probably the wrong word, but is it something that you've been able to work with so effectively that it, it plagues you very little, or is this kind of an ongoing thing that we yeah. all deal with? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I think, um, I mean, I've certainly I've been working with with these practices for thirty years, and I can say when I first started, I was very emotionally you know, oppressed or trapped by my critic. And I really believed that I was stupid and worthless. And, and now I have a much more accurate self-assessment. I can see my strengths. I can see my challenges. And, and of course, the, in the critic, just like other thoughts that will, you know, keep coming and going, you know, it comes up. It will, as I said, come up in those predictable times. Um, but there's a way that I hold it lightly. I can hold it with spaciousness. I don't, I don't believe it's messaging and um, so there's a lot more freedom in relationship to it. And I know this is true with, with a lot of things from with mindfulness practice. It's not that things need to go away for us to feel happy and free. We just need to have a wise relationship. So just as if someone in our team or in our family is very negative and critical, you know, we learn not to take it on if it's not accurate. And it's the same with the critic. We, you know, we hear its voice. We hear it chattering away. Oh, you should have done that better. You should have, you know given a better presentation, you should have executed that, you know, and you know, bought and sold that stock here and there at different times. And we go, yeah, yeah, thanks for your advice. And, um, you know, go bother somebody else. So there's just <laughs> a little, you know, there's a little acknowledgement of it. And then, you know, and then, and then the other thing that I've really learned, you know, and I talk about the subtitle of the book is how mindfulness and compassion can help free you from the critic. And so the compassion pieces is important because, you know, this critical the self-critical stuff is also very painful. You know, it's not, you know, I, I, talk, I talk about it lightly and playfully, but it does, you know, if we listen to it, it, it can cause depression, it can cause a sense of hopelessness. Um, and so we want to also acknowledge the pain. That's why I think it's important to be kind with ourselves, to be loving with ourselves and patient. Um, it doesn't disappear overnight. And so um, the, the working with the critic is really coming out of a sense of self-care and um, seeing ourselves accurately, not negatively. Yeah, I, I read somewhere that you, um, I mean, you've reached a kind of equanimity with all this. And I read somewhere that you used to be a punk rocker. So I'm really, I'm really curious to hear how this, and, and clearly the work you're doing now, it's, it has a positive effect on people. You're making a real contribution in the world. And how, how did you move from that that world that I, I know you found quite angry and painful and all the way to this, how, what shifted for you? Yeah, so it's true. I was, when I first discovered meditation, I was an angry anarchist, punk rocker. I had a white mohawk and was wild and was raging against the machine as, as many young men do and women. And, um, I uh, was, you know, blaming and, and thinking all the problems were outside of myself. And then I discovered meditation and they were saying, why don't you take a look at your own mind? It seems like that would be helpful. So I did. <laughs> right. and, and we use mindfulness to train, to look inside, to understand. 
you know, you know, where, what is what is the real source of suffering? What is the real source of our stress and anguish? And often, you know, of course, there's external stresses with with health and family and and finance and 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 you know, deadlines and whatnot. But with so much of our distress comes from our inner experience, from the way that we talk to ourselves, the way that we set impossibly high standards, the way that we um, berate ourselves for our mistakes or our foibles that may be a part of our conditioning and have nothing to do with what we've done or haven't done. And so I found actually through through the process of deepening self-awareness through mindfulness, deepening self-compassion through through specific practices, like there's a practice in the book called loving kindness practice, which is the antithesis of the critic, which is where we're wishing ourselves to be well and happy rather than uh, telling ourselves that we're bad and useless. And so um, I would say, you know, over these last three decades, I've um, learned how to, you know, bring more awareness, bring more kindness, bring more self-acceptance, and um, in and and see, you know, what strengths I have, and see the areas I need to grow, and and very happily and humbly look at those, and like any any good leader does. And then and then what I why I wrote the book is because I really want to share this wisdom because this is not my wisdom; it's just an understanding that I've grown that others have also uh, uh, seen that when we listen to that negative force in the mind, the judging mind, you know, we're less effective. And I want people to be optimal, functioning, happy, healthy human beings and leaders. And if we can really get a grip on the critic, we can actually make a big uh, difference. I see people make huge shifts in their lives once they've got the grips on their inner critic. Well, and your book offers some really great practical exercises. There's a whole range of them, I think, in every chapter and, and at the end as well, there's a toolbox, right? Yes. After every, so there's 30 chapters. In each chapter, there's a practice or a reflection or an action item to, to work constructively with the critic or to cultivate some positive quality in relationship to it. And then, and then I have this chapter called The Critic Toolkit, which is really a list of strategies and tools that you can really apply for a lifetime. And, and they don't just really ap- apply to the critic, although they are tailored for the critic, but they're really about how do we develop a healthy relationship with our mind and our thoughts and our judgments. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we've, we've touched on this a little bit in our conversation so far, but one of the things that I've been asking people in this podcast is about how your values and your beliefs have come into how you've chosen to structure your business and conduct it. And my belief is that your impact, the positive contribution that you make is so tied with those beliefs and values, whether consciously or unconsciously. And so uh, could you talk a little bit about what your what values you have and feel most strongly about that you've brought into your business? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great reflection. Um, well, I would say uh, I'd probably lead with compassion in that I'm, I mean, I'm in the business, whether it's in therapy or coaching or mindfulness teaching or, or all of my retreat teaching and my consulting and training. It's all around um, helping people uh, be free of unnecessary pain and how to live a more optimal, uh, generative, kind, and wise, and clear life. So um, I'll, I'll meet people where they're at, and usually people show up because they're in some kind of stressful situation, some kind of challenge or obstacle or struggle, 
And so I'm, I'm really driven by wanting to help people free themselves from the ways that we unnecessarily cause ourselves distress. And we all do it in all kinds of different ways, including the critic as one, one way amongst many, right? The negative self-talk. So I think compassion is a, is a really strong value. I think um, awareness is a, is a very central value. I really think that the more that we cultivate awareness through mindfulness, through clarity, then we have, we can see clearly, we can see what needs to be done, we can see what needs to be released. Um, and, and I think I, I, I think I also, also hold a value of, I believe in, in the essential goodness of people. That deep down, you know, no matter what, our, you know, we, that can get distorted with our conditioning and, and, and trauma and whatnot. But I think essentially, deep down, we're, 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 we have essential goodness. And I want to bring out that goodness for the betterment of themselves and the world. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's um, that particular value, I think, is really important right now. A lot of people are um, a bit distressed about the the election and what's come out of that and having choosing to have that perspective can really affect your experience of what's going on in the outer world because it's not i mean so much of what happens uh, within us is in response to what we see happening so trying to maintain some kind of equanimity no get no matter what's going on in the bigger world is uh, i mean how important is that do you think no, I think it's essential. And I think, what, you know, obviously the election is very distressing for, for many people. Um, I mean, the result is very distressing for many people. But the pre-election, just the, 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 the divisiveness and the negativity you know, and the judgment, what we're seeing in, in during the election cycle for a year and a half is people's inner critics, you know, spit, spat outwards. So there's mm. the outer judgment and rejection and condemning and belittling and shaming and very, very negative and toxic ways of relating to each other. Um, and, um, what I try to stress with, with, the, with the election process, because it is become very, has become very divisive in this country and also in Europe and other parts of the world. Um, what I try to emphasize is deep down, I believe that mostly we share similar values. We, sh we often share very different political ideologies and way to, to, uh, manifest those values. But I feel deep down people care about family. They care about safety. They care about, uh, you know, ha having a good environment for their children. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, th I think we share a lot of values, even if we're at very different ends of the political spectrum. And I think it's important for us to remember that, 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 that we may have very different ideas about how we create a just and fair society, for example. But we both believe in, in, in justice and fairness. So I think um, you know, that's one way of, of trying to heal the divide, not to ignore the differences, because those differences, you know, there can be a lot of negative fallout from those differences, but to see also, to, to find the commonality. And I think the more that we can reach out to each other's humanness, the more we can actually work together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I, I mean, I know you've, you've, talked, you've talked already about um, the impact that you are having in the work that you're doing individually and in groups with people, but what, what effect do you think that that has in the larger world, just as an extrapolation of what you just said? Well, <clears throat> for example, um, I've uh, worked with um, Bill Ford, former CEO and chairman of Ford. Mm -hmm. um, he's a mindfulness practitioner. 
um, and worked with similar business leaders and CEOs. And um, I'm not going to take direct responsibility for this because, um, but um, when I've when I've worked with business leaders, what I see them trying to do when they've cultivated more awareness and compassion, like there's a wonderful uh, YouTube clip of uh, Bill Ford in- in- interview at a con- conference called Wisdom 2.0, which some of your listeners might know about. Mm-hmm. It's an it's an intersection of tech leaders from Silicon Valley and mindfulness leaders, <clears throat> and um, yeah, it's a great conference. Uh, <clears throat> And Bill Ford was there talking about, you know, during the uh, during the meltdown, an economic meltdown in 2008-9, that he had to lay thousands of people off. But he made the commitment that every morning he was going to do whatever he could to do it with utmost mindfulness and compassion. And that he, you know, he tried as best as he could to minimize the fallout and the impact on those families and communities that he's he knows very intimately in Detroit. And so I think when we have these values, and, and so when, I, when I'm working with leaders, and, I, and I, I, I like to work with leaders a lot because obviously they have more influence, and um, when they realize that they can actually, that, that, you know, like Bill George, you know, is a wonderful proponent of this. He, he's, a, he's a mindfulness practitioner, and his research team talks about the important leadership shift that, that goes from I to we, that when leaders realize that actually it's not about myself but it's about the greater good that it actually creates a dynamism for their leadership and there's and there's there's a there's a plethora of examples of incredibly successful fortune 500 ceos and leaders who have made this shift from i to we and uh functioning and leading uh from the perspective of the greater good from the welfare not just myself but for as many people as possible and so um, that's what I try to do when I am taking this work into the corporate sphere. I want to have people wake up to the importance of compassion, the importance of mindfulness, and how we can actually integrate that into business principles that actually make for much more sound business employees and uh, consumers and society. Yeah, I, I know there's been a lot of conversation and writing about the shift from I to we, and there's also great data to support that if when companies take that perspective, their financial performance actually substantially approves by uh, by a factor of twelve to fourteen. So it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, other yeah. other than the, um, I mean, the obvious benefits of connecting us all as people, it it also has very practical benefits as well. It does. I, I, I really enjoyed reading the book, The Firms of Endearment, where mm-hmm. he chronicles a lot of different companies who, you know, take into account, you know, you know, the, the five, you know, and customers and employees and shareholders, you know, and, and the vision and, and, and actually has a much more equitable sort of form of business. But as you say, um, outperforms the, the market, outperforms other companies um, right. when we actually take care of people and take and steward the planet, we can actually do it we can actually do it uh, together. Yeah, then that's actually a great book. It's full of data of uh, on this very topic. So um, yeah, it's a good resource for people if they're interested in checking that out. Um, you mentioned self-care earlier, and I, I know that meditation is obviously uh, at, at the heart of the self-care that you do, but I know when we get involved in having an impact, making a positive contribution, we can get so caught up in it to the, sometimes, uh, to the extent that we're not looking after ourselves. So is, are there particular 
self-care practices that you find really valuable? Yeah, you know, I, I think it is it is really essential, especially the lives we live, where we're so inundated with stimulus through our technology and devices, and we, you know, doing double time at work and at home. And it's essential, and, and this is one of the main things that I am encouraging people to do in in business is to actually have some kind of balance. And one of the most important ways to do that is to have some kind of uh, space, you know, what I call contemplative time that we pause and we stop and we close our screens and we turn our attention inside and we have some kind of meditation practice. And I don't use, usually use that word meditation, but it's really a, you know, a practice where we, where we gather and, and, and cultivate our awareness of ourselves. It could be of our breath, of our body, of our heart. And we're basically learning to be present with ourselves and to pause allows the brain to rest, allows the nervous system to relax, allows the body to uh, release stress. And, you know, I think it's essential that we all take time every day, whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, people have to find their own rhythm to, um, to build what I call this muscle of awareness that we can learn to stop and pause and develop some calm clarity and focus and so i'm a big proponent of that i'm you know, I taught many many meditations in the book i'm on an app called will whil.com which is which has you know dozens of meditations so there's the ways that we can use technology actually in, in terms of apps and resources to actually strengthen our sense of well-being um through meditation or you know or it could be maybe it's it's, it's a 30 minute walk in the park or it is exercise, but we're not, you know, we're on our cell phones, we're just being present, you know, or it's walking the dog in a way that's very mindful, or we're eating in a way that's really present to the food and not multitasking. So the less we multitask, the more we actually strengthen this quality of, of, of awake presence and mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a former multitasker <laughs> myself, uh -huh. and I find the richness of just being present to what the one thing I'm doing right now, uh, yeah. it's very, it's been really valuable to do that. Yeah, it really makes a huge difference. You know, the, and the data is, is really clear. When we multitask, we do things less well, and it takes actually a longer time to do both tasks than if we just did one at a time. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that is helpful for people to hear, I think, is, is uh, you know, we kind of get this picture from people's, um, how they describe their work and their businesses as, well, you know, I started this and it grew and everything went great. And uh, we get kind of a warped picture of what's actually involved in order to, to have impact, to make a positive contribution. So would, would you, um, could you share an experience of having a, an obstacle or a barrier that you had to work through in order to, to do the work that you're doing now, to have the impact that you're, you're doing now and, and how you addressed it? I think we can always learn from that and sharing those stories with each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, the thing that pops to mind, you know, I was telling my this story about being a punk rocker. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I was plagued with, and I don't really, you know, sometimes we're plagued with things and we don't quite know why they're there. But I had a very strong streak of self-hatred. I, for whatever reason, didn't like myself. I thought, you know, I judged myself. I... Um, was embarrassed by things I did. And I just really, 
uh, there was just this very vicious streak towards myself. And I know I'm not alone in this. I know a lot of people suffer, you know, like I teach this loving kindness practice where we you know, generate kindness towards others and ourselves. And people almost to a, to, to a T will say that send, being kind to ourselves is much harder than being kind to others. And so I was not, I was also, you know, very plagued by that. And so I really sort of took it on as a project of how do I shift this very rigid, cold, harsh attitude of not liking myself, of judging myself, of being mean and cruel. And so, um, so I took on this practice, which I mentioned earlier, this, uh, what's, what's, I, I know is the loving kindness practice. It's a cultivation of friendliness towards ourselves and others. And I literally did it for years. I'd sit down for, you know, up, upwards of, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes and cultivate, uh, these phrases that expressed my kindest wish for myself, that I be happy, that I be peaceful, that I like, that I accept myself as I am, that I be safe, that I be healthy. Um, and I just, you know, it's like, it was like creating positive neural pathways rather than repeating the negative neural pathways of the critic. And so over time, I began to, you know, and it took years, and there's not a quick fix, I'm, I'm sorry to say. Right. Um, and, but over time, it eroded that negative sense of self. And I can now generally say I, sit, I can sit down and I can feel a warm, positive appreciation for myself. I can see my gifts and my strength. I can see my qualities. And I can, of course, see my shortcomings and places where you know, I fall short in, in, in certain ways. Um, but I don't beat myself up for that. I, you know, I can see myself with, with kind eyes like I might look upon my goddaughter or my auntie or you know a flower or a, a snail crawling across the grass so um so there's a sense of benevolence and of course what how we relate to ourselves is how we relate to others so i've been able to take that positive orientation towards myself and be able to express it and feel it to others so it's it, it's made me a much more kinder forgiving compassionate person with others because i'm able to do that with myself mm, that's great well is there one piece of advice or, or an insight you would share with uh, with other business owners who are asking themselves how can i how can i be out there in the world with great awareness and really do the work that i i'm here to do that that the positive contribution that i'm here to make yeah, well, I could, there's many ways to go with that question. I would say, given the orientation of this discussion, I would say it all starts at home. It all starts with our own self-awareness and our own self-talk. And if we can develop a healthy, positive, clear uh, relationship with ourselves, with our body, with our mind, uh, then we will naturally spill that out onto others and the way that we influence if we can if we can show positive self-respect self-regard uh, self-awareness that will naturally translate to a kinder clearer wiser way we relate to others and we relate to the world that's great i uh yeah, i agree i think <laughs> all kinds all kinds of impact or even ways of being in the world it always starts within us so thank you so much for sharing that mark for sharing your insights from your many years of of practice and um delving into this level of wisdom and knowledge and uh i i really appreciate your perspectives around um 
developing a wise relationship with the inner critic and being compassionate and loving and, and patient. Those are all uh, really great messages to take away from this conversation. So thank you so much for sharing all of that today. Yes, you're welcome. Very happy to be on the show. And um, I hope if readers are interested, check out the book, Make Peace With Your Mind. And shall I share a little about how people can reach me if yeah, they want please, to talk about my work? Please do. That yeah. was my next question. <laughs> okay, good. Sorry for preempting. No worries. Um, yeah, so I have many, many websites, but there's a, the, the main central site is um, markcoleman.org, M-A-R-K, Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N.org. And that has links to my, my wilderness work, my corporate consulting, my mindfulness trainings, and my online meditation platforms, and various other things, including information about the book. So hope to uh, see you on there sometime. Wonderful. Thanks, Mark. And thank you for the work you're doing in the world. It's so valuable. Likewise. Thank you for your work, too. Very important. Thank you. So join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. Until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com. <laughs>